Hey everyone, in today's Community Spotlight episode, we're talking to longtime friend of the show, Kevin Myers. We're talking to him about how he got into networking and how his journey led him down a path that I would call somewhat non-traditional. So from disaggregation to building a consultative business around network architecture, we'll cover all this and more right after the break. Well, hey, Kevin, it's good to see you today. I understand you've been doing a lot of overnight cutovers and hanging out in some creepy colos. How's that? Yeah, man. Hey, how you doing, man? It's good to see you. I, um, I, I will say, yeah, I've been, uh, had a lot of, a uh, lot of high op tempo, um, for sure on the maintenance windows. I've had probably 10 or 11 in the last three weeks, um, with some travel thrown in there. And I have to say like at 41, I know when I got into IT, which is what this is all about, is like, you know, where did you start? At 21, it was a lot easier to be, you know, hey, I'm not going to sleep for five days and, and do this. And at 41, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah, so falling asleep in the data center more often, so for <laughs> I'm sure. I'm so done with that. I'm so over that. Yeah, I still do it from time to time. And I'm like, every time I do it, I'm like, getting too old for this stuff. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and I, as I said, the Creepy Colo, I actually went into a very interesting uh, building in Louisville, Kentucky, where they have a building that was built in the 20s. And I mean, think Ghostbusters. Think of the Ghostbusters. Busters building that attracted like all the creepy stuff. It was like they put a data center in that. Um, the elevators were condemned. We had to carry uh, we had to carry a juniper up like ten flights of stairs. Um, it, it, it was like, and when you go to the basement, if you guys are Stranger Things fan, we are fairly certain that Demogorgon lives in the basement of this DC. I mean, they have like generators and like electricity from the 1930s down there, like switches the old, that are, yeah, it's like, like the, the crank metal stuff. switches that you pull on. Yeah. All exposed. It's like, don't touch yeah. that. Yeah. It was like the set of young Frankenstein. So, but it was cool. It was a unique experience, but yeah, it was, it was definitely creepy. Oh man, that's funny. So man, we're here to talk about your story and all stories kind of have a beginning. So let's start with yours. Like how did you get into IT in general and specifically how did you get into networking? Yeah, for sure. I think mine goes uh, pretty far back actually. I've always been fascinated with technology and I, I definitely have my dad to thank for that. Um, we, when I was about, I guess it was six, so it was five or six, we got our very first computer and it was 1983, 84, somewhere in that neighborhood. And at the time, you know, we hadn't really hit the x86 revolution. So there was a whole slew of, you know, it was Tandy and we had a TI-99, um, which I actually brought something for show and tell because I recently no. went to my parents and got not one, but I actually have two TI-99s that, that still that work. One? I still have it with my favorite game here. I have Par I have Parsec, which was my most favorite game ever. Um, and we did programming in TI Basic. My dad and I did. Wow, that's cool. So yeah, that was I was you know I was in kindergarten or you know going to first grade somewhere in that neighborhood, and we had programming magazines, which I picked up a few last year. And you would take a tape recorder, like a standard tape cassette that would hook into the computer, and you'd read the programs you know out of the magazine. It wasn't like we were developing code at that point you just read it out of the magazine and build a game and you would hit record on the cassette tape and if you screwed up you had to stop the tape and go all the way back and retype the whole thing back over so that was definitely that experience of like creating something which is funny because i'm not a programmer now so i don't really dabble in that but that was my start it really kind of sparked my imagination as to what you can do with technology and what you can do with uh with computers um and, and it was actually really interesting because looking back as an adult um, my dad, even though he isn't in technology, was always fascinated by it. He worked in retail and I found a program when I picked this stuff up last year that he had written in basic to do like just in time inventory management, like in the 1980s for retail, you know, store management. So that really sparked me into, 
a lifelong love of technology and things that carried me forward into somewhere in the late 1980s is when we got our first x86 computer. And I, I remember the, my first, the first time I solved a problem, the first time I actually troubleshot something was our Packard Bell 386, and it ran Windows 3.0. And Windows 3.1 came out. Well, of course, I had to take those eight floppies and go upgrade it. And it was, I'll never forget it because it was summer. My dad went off to work. And he said, don't touch that computer. And I was like, so I was like waiting for him to leave. And so the very first thing I did, of course, was I broke out the floppies and I started upgrading the computer. <laughs> so, and it broke. So he came home the next night and we had to like, try to figure out what was going on. Didn't know what was going on. And so then uh, he left for work the next day and said, we're going to have to get a PC repair guy to go look at this. You know, don't touch the computer. So of course I dove into the computer to figure out, you know, exactly what was wrong with it. Like a good what tech. Is it, what is it with the rebellious streak? I don't know what it is. It's, it's gotta be a thing in <laughs> it that, you know, we're, yeah, we're, I wasn't too rebellious. Like I wasn't an awful child, but when it came to that stuff, it was like, you know, curiosity you killed you the cat. Tell me not to touch this technology. What do you, yeah. like, that's never going to happen. Get out of here. Yeah, exactly. So I went into, I started looking at the auto bat file and I noticed, that there were like some lines missing that I guess had gotten botched in the upgrade. And this was like, this was like 88, 89, some, I maybe nine, 10 years old, something like that. So I finally figured out that something was missing in there. And I happened to find a, a copy of the old autoexec.bat, replaced the lines that were missing and the computer booted again into Windows. So my dad comes back and he's like, all right, let's look at this. I was like, well, I actually fixed it. So of course he gets really mad and stops himself. He's like, I told you not to touch it. What'd you do? Yeah. What did you, what did you fix? <laughs> So, um, so that was, now, but I don't want to show you that. Yeah, that's yeah. right. I'm mad, but now, but I also don't have to get a PC tech. So like that, mm-hmm. that experience of like solving that first problem, like it was pretty much over from that point. You know, I, I stayed in technology, um, you know, in the eighties, I, you know, we would dial into BBSs. I had a lot of friends that had computers at that time. And I remember getting onto the internet very, very early, you know, in the modem days, um, and, and messing around with all that in the eighties and the eighties and nineties, upgrading the computer, um, and then that kind of got forward to the very first networking that I ever touched. I didn't really understand it. I didn't really get what was going on, but when I was in high school. I took, um, Pascal and, uh, Pascal and C and our uh, instructor was, was very, very knowledgeable in Unix. Uh, we worked on a Unix mainframe and this was, uh, this was 94, 95, somewhere in there. And, um, we just started writing code and, uh, that's probably the last time I wrote any kind of decent code. Um, and, um, we, we started messing around with all that and it was, you know, kind of networked. We had the workstations were networked over, it was BNC or something like that, you know, back into the Unix mainframe. Mm-hmm. And that was a really cool experience because I started to see not only what was possible on one computer, but the computers connected together. And the one thing I do remember about that class was it was the first time I'd ever heard the word, the internet. It wasn't in common culture then nobody knew what it was. And it was, it was like 94. And he said, well, we're going to talk about the internet today in class. And of course we're all looking around like what, you know, what exactly is that? Cause we'd done the modems, but we didn't really know about the internet. Right. And so that, you know, carried forward into the next few years where I actually started an IT career. Um, we, my family moved away from Indianapolis where I grew up down South and I wanted to go to engineering school. So I went to Auburn, um, which is I, my little joke about my company is this is why my colors are orange and blue, even though my business partner in Denver says it's the Denver Broncos. It's not, it's totally Auburn. So, <laughs> so that, um, yeah, so I got, um, I got into it at that point after, uh, going through college and going into, uh, computer engineering. Um, I got through about two or three years of college and I decided to take a break. So, I come back home with my, with my parents and try to figure out, you know, what I'm going to do. I realized that I wasn't doing great in college. Like I love the material, but I was more into, you know, going out and having a good time. And so I kind of took a pause in my life 
And, and at that point, um, our next door neighbor actually needed somebody to work on the tech in his office. He owned a law firm um, that worked in healthcare and needed somebody to touch the tech. And I, I was sitting around figuring out what I was going to do. So I was like, yeah, I'll go do this for a few months. And that just was, uh, that was 1998. And that just opened my world into IT. I was completely hooked because we had a Windows NT server, a gateway Windows NT server. We had an ethernet network with, you know, 10 meg switches and a Cisco router and a frame relay circuit. And it was, switches. it was completely over after that. Switches, huh? Yeah, switches. Oh yeah, we had, yeah, we had, I, I think, uh, you know, it's funny. I think I configured my first VLAN in the early nineties, even though I really had no idea what I was doing. Like okay. I didn't really get it. I just copied what somebody else did. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> but the interesting thing for me is that I, you know, I really did not go full force into network engineering right away. I, um, I probably spent about 10 years as an IT generalist, mostly because it occurred during my twenties. And again, kind of like the college streak, I was, you know, wanted to travel and have fun and do different things. So I was a decent IT guy, but I didn't really get the drive that I have now where I really just want to learn all the things and continue to push the boundaries of technology until the latter 10 years. I kind of had that spark the first two years. And then I had a little bit of an IT burnout and I uh, worked for a number of different companies, all that kind of helped grow my career. Um, but, you know, it wasn't until I got into network engineering heavily that I really, um, that things really changed for me, that I really started to push and pursue my IT career very, very seriously. Speaking um, about that, that generalist role, though, I think that those even <laughs> I think there's so much value in that general, generalist role. I think the people who skip that and there's nothing, you know, there's no predefined path. You don't have to do it. Right. Mm -hmm. But I, I think the idea of having a solid understanding of how everything else works uh, helps people who go into a specialization, whether that be networking or compute or whatever, like whatever it is that they do. Oh, yeah. Having the broad level understanding. So even even though you probably weren't learning in that time, you were and you didn't know it. Right. No, you're 100% right. You're totally right. Because I, you know, I, and I didn't realize that until IT has, has matured, because, you know, a couple things were going on at that time. IT was, you know, before that, it was information systems and data systems. And we had like nine different names for it in the 80s and early 90s. And then IT was kind of born, you know, out of the mid to late 90s, and became a thing. And I know a lot of us were there for the dawn of that age and the dot com boom. And we went through all these things. And we all had that background, you know, we built PCs, and we stood up servers and we were there when virtualization first became a thing. So you're absolutely right. Um, you know, I, I worked with a few people that were, were great people, but didn't have that foundation. And when it came time to, you know, troubleshoot something, there was, you know, an issue with something on a PCI slot or loading an operating system or very, you know, those generalist tasks. Um, you know, I realized that not everybody does have that background anymore. Some people kind of start very, you know, into a specialization very early and don't really do the generalist piece. Yeah. All right. So, uh, so you said about 10 years in your career, something, something started to change. So what, what changed then? So I think a couple of things changed for me. I was, I was getting to a point in my life where uh, my wife and I were dating and I, you know, we would probably be getting married soon. So I knew that, you know, a life change was happening. So there was, there was that going on. And I also, even before that, about a year or two before that, I kind of got to the point where, you know, I was like, you know, I've been kind of been messing around with servers and desktop support and all these different things and a little bit of networking, for a long time. And I'd gotten a CCNA really long time ago in 2003, um, you know, passed it, um, doing it did okay. I understood a few things out of it, but I just didn't really get it. Like I had it, but I didn't get it. So I got to this point where I said, you know, I really want to understand this stuff. I want to go through certifications and I want to really understand this. And I actually started with a Windows cert. Um, and that was the first cert that I pursued like really aggressively where my goal was to learn the technology and not just get the cert. So 
Um, I, you know, I dove into servers and I was like, I'm just going to, you know, consume this. And then in doing that, I started spending a lot of time with the networking side, again, coming back to it, um, because we were, I was doing imaging, testing imaging over servers and seeing the performance issues when you're, you know, multicasting all that out and unicasting it. And so I, I decided, I was like, you know, I want to, I think I want to look for a networking job and I think I want to push toward the networking job. And it just so happened at the time, right after I passed my MCP, uh, I think it was on uh, Windows Server, or Windows XP, or something like that. There was a job for a telco, a, a local telco and a regional telco, where they wanted somebody that had Cisco skills and a number of different IT skills. And I thought, man, I am like so underqualified for this, but I am just going to give it a shot because I've been in IT ten years and I've got you know a decent amount of skills. So, and they had this like it's kind of funny. You and I joke about you know giving tests during uh, during interviews because I know we've yeah. had that conversation and, and you know and back and forth on that one. <laughs> and I got like the longest like knowledge dump test you've ever seen. I think I I remember it's like well I remember Conf T and I remember the interface command, but beyond that like I didn't remember a whole lot. But they I think I had a, I had a decent attitude. They hired me anyway and took a chance. And then I spent the next three years consuming like pretty much everything I could possibly find on network engineering. And I went from the point of barely being able to subnet to the end of it. I was, I was designing redundant BGP route reflectors, putting out uh, MPLS services, ATM over MPLS, IPTV. I mean, you name it. There was, there were all these initiatives as a regional rural telco that they were wanting to build out and doing these different things. And that, that just totally launched me into network engineering. And it's, kind of been a sprint ever since but that was definitely the catalyst it sounds really interesting too because it sounds like uh so I, I, I speak for myself maybe i speak for you i feel like there was a point in my career that i didn't know enough to know that that stuff was risky yeah <laughs> right? yeah you know, you're right so you're like, absolutely I took, right i took on things that were way above my head because i'm like if someone else can do it i can do it which yeah is i mean that and that's the thing and it didn't really it did not dawn on me until later like because this is like you know especially when you're in a telco you're dealing with 911 you know because you're the incumbent carrier for that so you have all these critical services that you hospitals and police departments and all these things that you've got to keep online and so trying to you know learn and understand through that you're right i didn't i, I you know i was just like oh we're going to do this stuff and it's cool and you know we were careful but the impact of it didn't dawn on me till much later yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. So I mean, so that telco was like the kind of the first foray or first stretch into the service provider world, which you do spend a lot of time in now, right? I do. Yeah. I mean, that's that's I I, I find myself spending most of my time in the service provider world, but I still do touch enterprise often enough to um you know to to do some stuff in my consulting. So yeah, that kind of got me into um a point where you know I was doing okay at the service provider, network engineering wise, it was awesome. You know, pay wise, I really wanted to make more money, so. Um, I just so happened that I, I started, I, I pursued my CCNP. In fact, I first probably back up and say, because um, you and I go back and forth on Cisco certification. We have these, these conversations all the time in Network Collective. But I will say, and I think Nick Russo said this too, and I agree with him 100%, that was probably one of the most valuable certifications I have ever been through in my entire life. The Cisco CCNP is what took me from being decent at the network I knew to exposing me to all the things that I had never worked on and didn't know and gave me enough of a technical foundation that I could teach myself. That was the that's, thing that really allowed the, me to teach myself right. things that I didn't know. Cause you're never going to know all of it, but no. if you know how to learn that you learn how to learn, I guess, and I guess you guys that work at the CCIE, you know, when you go through the CCIE, it's such an intensive program. I think you take learning how to learn to like another level, you know, when you're doing that. 
But I still, having gone through the CCIE, I still look at my CCNP as being the most valuable thing I did for my career. I could, I could have survived without the CCIE. It's definitely opened a bunch of doors that wouldn't have been open otherwise. Right. And I don't, you know, like I, I'm, I'm firmly of the belief that it's a valuable, you know, level of effort. But if I hadn't, the CCNP is what would have made the differentiation between me flaming out in networking and me being successful in networking. And it's not just the certification. And we, you know, I don't want to get on the certification talk necessarily. Oh, sure, sure, yeah. But it's the content in it. So even if you don't yeah. go after the cert, understanding what's on that blueprint will give you the foundation for moving forward. And so, yeah, that's definitely one of the most functional certif- certifications I've ever done. And it is. And I think that's the, you know, and that's the thing that, um, you know, and coming back from the early 2000s where certifications were a lot more paper than practical, they, you know, Cisco put a lot of work into making it practical. And if you pursue the certification as it's intended, like, yeah, you're right, you get the cert. But the practical knowledge you get from those, you know, hundreds of hours of labbing, because I remember sitting in my, my wife was like, is this ever going to end? And that's why, you know, I, I remember sitting there in all those hours of labbing. And at that time, I still had to have some physical equipment because we didn't quite have, you know, some of the wonderful things we have in GNS3, which I use, but the switching and the private VLANs and all that stuff was, you know, all there. But yeah, that, that time that I put in, that flight time, and I, I teach my engineers Today, I, I say, you know, if I learn nothing out of Cisco certification and trying to expand your knowledge, because I have engineers that are trying to go for those today, I said, don't spend 80% of your time reading and 20% of your time labbing. Spend 80% of your time labbing and then read what you need to fill in the gaps and you are going to learn it. And I said, if I'd known that, I probably could have taken my year and eight months of CCNP and maybe done it in six months instead of, right. you know, <laughs> sitting through all the videos and reading the books cover to cover and all of that. So, um, but yeah, that, that was, that was a huge piece for me. So that, that kind of set the stage for me to go into the enterprise. And I didn't even know I was headed there. In fact, my plan was to go for the CCIE immediately after CCNP. Um, but a little thing kind of happened in the middle of that, which was, um, I got introduced to a technology outside of Cisco called Microtech, which we've talked about a whole lot. And yeah. one day my boss comes in in the telco right before, um, not too long before I left. And um, he said, we found this router um, and it's like 50 bucks and it does MPLS and BGP. And of course that was like throwing a big fat T-bone steak into like, you know, a bunch of, with a bunch of dogs into the engineering bullpen. Right. You're like, no oh, way, those. no yeah. way. Let me see. So, yeah. I think we spent the next two or three weeks uh, attaching it to the Cisco core that we had built. We were doing running Cisco 7606s and 7609s and a service provider, triple play architecture where we did TV, voice, data, all that. Mm -hmm. And so we were doing like VPLS and we were doing L3 VPN and all these different technologies with these little $50 routers. And we actually put it out in an enterprise client that needed at that time, I think they had like a 20 or 30 mag Metro Ethernet synchronous circuit. So we were like, oh. Well, let's, you know, let's put this out and see if it works. And so we did and it worked. And so that kind of started my road down working in, you know, technologies that now we call it white box. We call it commodity at the time. It was the cheap router. Um, but it was um, so that that kind of got me started on that track. And I've, I've, I've kind of pursued that throughout my career. But then I jumped to the enterprise um, and I won't lie. Mainly it was for the money. I really they, they offered an incredibly attractive package. It was a lot more than I was making. We were about to have our, I think, our second baby at the time, my wife and I. So I was like, you know, I would love service provider networking, but I'm going to go try this. The money's um, good, too. Yeah, yeah the money money was good, too. So I was like, I went and uh, interviewed with, uh, with a company and went to work for a really large enterprise. It was a global enterprise that uh, I think at the time they had like 20 or 30,000 employees. And then they went through a merger and the, not long after I got there. And then they had like 80,000 global employees. So it was this massive, massive network to work on. And that was probably also one of the most beneficial things I did because 
even though I was had a really good foundation in routing and switching and could do just about anything in layer two or layer three that we put out in the telco, the piece that I was missing was the applications. Up to that point, I was like, I don't care what you put on my networking. It's applications. Who cares? Packets in, packets out. And it wasn't until I sat with those application teams and understood the impact that the things that we do in networking had on the application layer um, and things like latency, like the long fat pipe. We had data centers in other countries and we put up a gig circuit and the, the application guys were like, well, we can only get like a 50 meg speed test. And we were all like, well, that's not right. Something's wrong with the carrier. And then we learned about latency and TCP window size and buffer size and all those fun things. So that really helped to fill out my understanding I think of more of the OSI stack of understanding how applications interact. And even in the carrier space, it helped me out a ton because there are a lot of, you know, in the carrier space, we do still sometimes have that attitude that, Hey man, our network works. You just, you know, you know, your stuff is messed up. But when you go look at the way applications interact, you can kind of solve some problems that if you didn't have that background, um, working with the application and DB and storage teams that you wouldn't otherwise maybe see. Um, so it was incredibly valuable for me to go do that. And then, uh, and then I went into consulting after that. I finally had gotten to a point where I, I said, you know, I really want to work for myself. And I'd been building this company, which is um, now IP Architects that um, I'm a partner and a stakeholder in. And we've been building it up over several years. It was kind of a part-time thing at first. And then it became more full-time. And then finally, we just uh, all went full-time and started growing the company and, and doing different things. And um, and that was all a, a wonderful foundation because I'd had uh, several years in service provider, several years in enterprise. And so taking those two together um, gave me a pretty good base, uh, you know, consulting-wise to kind of go into uh, what I've been doing for the last five years, um, which is, um, you know, getting into the realm of, um, you know, white box and commodity and, and just a bunch of different you know, angles of consulting. That's really, that's really cool. I mean, that's an interesting progression. I, your, your comment about application stack is really funny because I think out of everyone, I think you and I, uh, we spar a bit on L2 extension only because, because of perspective. And if, the funny oh, thing, for sure. I, I think we see each other's, other's points incredibly well because you know it and I know it. it as a service provider, you use it all the time, right? It, no, yeah, it's like Skittles. We put L2 extensions out like Skittles, man. It's like throw a thousand of them out. I don't care. So every time I give it a hard time, you come around, it's like, yeah, well, we yeah. use it all the time. But then it's like, yeah, but you got to put an application on it. Well, it's like, yeah, well, right. Well, I, see, I think that's one area we definitely do agree because I, I had somebody, I was responding to a forum post the other day. There was a forum post uh, that I was responding to online. Somebody was said, uh, said I have five. I have five data center locations in different countries, and I want to put one network across all of them. So my first, my first question was, dear God, why? Um, was <laughs> what? What have you been told that you need to do this? And it's it's interesting. Even in 2019, the person that was making the post, he just just didn't understand the ramifications yeah. of doing it. It wasn't cool. wasn't an application requirement. It wasn't emotion or any of that <laughs> stuff. It was just it was simply oh, I just thought it would be easier if everything was in the same subnet. Yeah. But we had a conversation. I said maybe. Consider, you know, consider a routed network. And then if you have specific services that you get forced into, then maybe, you know, consider that as an overlay. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I, I want to ask you a couple of questions. I've got a couple of stock questions. So we kind yeah, of sure. story up through IP Architects. These questions, I think, uh, I think they're incredibly tied to people's stories. And so I think that that's, uh, it, it's a nice tie into what's here. But I like talking, since we talked a lot about your history, I want to talk about now. And, and I wanna, what I want to ask is, what do you think, and I'm going to ask you the, the converse of this afterwards, so just kind of be preparing. But okay, you, sure. <laughs> what do you think is, the, is like the most positive or best trend in the industry right now? What is something that's happening that you think people should be paying attention to? 
Well, this is probably not going to be any huge surprise for you that I think the disaggregation movement that we're going through right now is probably the most positive thing that I've seen in network engineering, because I think it's taken a very static environment um, that I've seen in the traditional network vendors where they're used to putting out some of the, some of the same offerings and the same things year after year. And yes, there's different innovations, but um, I, I think that disaggregation kind of forced everybody to look at the way that we do things. And, and you look at the white box space and you look at commodity networking and companies like Microtech and Ubiquity. Um, and when I first started in this, you know, there was definitely, you know, a bit of, there's no way I'm putting a $50 router in my, in my, in my, you know, critical network. It's just not going to happen. Um, but then you look at some of the initiatives that some really large companies have done. And of course, everybody touts the Facebooks and the Googles. And of course I use those examples because, you know, they just realized from a cost and scale perspective, there was no way they were going to be able to build what they built in Facebook and Amazon and Google without lowering the cost of infrastructure. Um, And and we're seeing that play out now with 5g. I mean, 5g, even though it's kind of a, um, you know, it's, it's not a, a, it's not a defined term because there is no standard right now. And everybody's kind of trying to figure out what 5g actually is. The one thing that everybody does agree on is that, um, it's so ubiquitous that you've got, they have to lower the cost of infrastructure or it's never going to happen. So, you know, you can't put a $10,000 router into every tower to, you know, or, or AP point to do this. And so, but you look at companies like, I'll give you a good example. I saw published recently Kroger, um, Kroger, I think ripped out all of their vendor routers out of, I mean, they're one of the largest grocers in the country and they went to, um, a, uh, just a Linux box. They had like a, basically a, I think it was like a small hypervisor they put into their, their stores and went through and wrote the applications that they needed that best fit their company, um, and put a routing stack in there so that they could handle routing and basically built this solution that really fit their company best and their company needs best, did an R and D on it. And they rolled it out to like 4,000 locations. Wow. Um, and so you think of a company, a multi-billion dollar company that's in retail and grocery like that. And is, is actually in their vertical. I think they're the leading uh, company in their vertical that does something innovative like that. And I think other companies can follow that model. And, and a lot of people think it's, Oh, it's just about the cost. And yes, there's definitely that element too. Um, but things that I've heard other people say is, you know, being able to define what you want your technology to look like and like having control of your own destiny and not having a vendor come back and say, well, well, that, that, that chassis had a good run, but we're done. Um, you know, and this had a good run, but we're going to do this technology now. So, and that's not to say either that it's, it's an either or conversation because most of the networks that I work on, we've got some Cisco, we have some Juniper, we have some things in there because there's definitely roles that we've not filled yet in, in white box and commodity. There's things that you still need a traditional vendor for. They still do a great job in, and then you can build the rest of the network out, you know, with these other commodity components. So it's never, it's never a, Oh, I'm going to take rip all this out and it's all going to be this. It's always a, an integration. That's but I, I see that as a very positive trend because I think that's forcing us. It's forcing us to look at networking differently. It's forcing the vendors to look at networking differently and, and compete. And all the major vendors have started to build disaggregated operating systems. Um, I was at, Network Field Day, uh, the service provider edition, where we were talking about um, segment routing, and I was talking with Cisco's engineers, and they've disaggregated iOS XR. And I said, you know, what's your challenge in putting this on there? And they said, really, it's just the just getting more companies to want to put this on different platforms. They said, we're very excited about it, and we want to do it. We just need to validate it on more hardware platforms. And it was the uh, the five G providers that actually forced them to do it because they said, look, we want your code. We just want it on an edge core box. And right. so, um, and that's the way we want to roll. So, and Juniper is doing the, the same thing. So I think it's changing the way we do networking. It's making it like the server model. It's making it, we did this with servers in the eighties and nineties and, and disaggregated that. And now we're doing the same thing in networking.
Right. So if you're listening to this and you don't know a lot about disaggregation, we've done quite a few shows on it, actually. Um, and we have like a, a good primer show, a couple other discussions around disaggregation, what it means from a business perspective. It'd be definitely worth going checking those out, those out because I agree disaggregation is a, is a great trend that's going on right now. Um, so what's the inverse? What's, what's something that you think uh, people should be wary of? What's a, what's a trend that's going on right now that you kind of go, ah, man, I don't know if that's a good thing. Man, you know, I've thought long and hard about all the ways I could get into trouble on your show. No, um, so, this is the question that does it. This is the reason yes, why. Yes, I, I know. <laughs> so, luckily, luck, so luckily, being my own boss, somewhat, I do. I, I can limit that a little bit. Um, but I think that um, I, I think the, the biggest trend that I see that I've started to see discussion around is is the is that I see in the in the engineering community the advent of cloud and the advent of all the layers of abstraction that we are going, the road that we're going down now, I see new, new engineers getting into this industry that are trying to figure out their career path, don't see as much value in the basic core skills because, and I don't think it's all their fault. I think the industry is leading them to believe that route switch is no longer a fundamental component. You don't need to go through these fundamental concepts because it's all going to be abstracted and it's oh, going to oh. be in cloud. And, yeah. and that's the thing. It's really dangerous to me because, you know, if you don't have core route switch fundamentals and you don't have a good command of the OSI stack and understand how all of the different bits and pieces come together at layer one, two, three, and all the way on up the stack, I, I, I think that's going to be the, big, the biggest challenge we have out of the next generation of engineers is everything is so hyper-focused on cloud that if when it breaks, um, you have to understand the bits beneath it. Um, software-defined networking is the, is the same kind of thing. You know, I'm, I'm just now getting into some of that with OpenFlow um, and starting to dabble in that. And I think it's the same thing. I think it's, you, you know, yes, we're going to, you know, wrap software and intelligence and automation and orchestration around all these things. But at the end of the day, BGP is still BGP. VLANs are still VLANs. And you, you have to know how they work. So that, to me, is the, is the most dangerous trend that I hope we, you know, come back off of and, and, continue to teach those fundamentals and push those fundamentals to the engineers that are coming in now. Yeah. I, I mentioned this, uh, I've mentioned this multiple times, but uh, on the show that released the week that we're recording this, and that is that, uh, you know, abstraction is only, is only super effective or full abstraction only works when everything that's under underneath it is a hundred percent reliable and it works every single time. Oh, for sure. Because the moment that that abstraction or the, or what the technologies that are being abstracted breaks, it is like, orders of magnitude harder to troubleshoot something that's abstracted than something that is up there and open. Oh, definitely. There is no, no question about that. That's assuming you have the skills. And so, you know, we see this move towards these black box systems and I agree there are new networkers coming into, into the world that are, are being fed this message and and maybe the message is right. Maybe, maybe we're just early, you know, it's completely possible that 10 years down the line, we really have solved these problems, but I don't see it today. And so I people see, see people starting their careers as if that's true that the networking problem is solved, it all just needs to be abstracted. But I know you're going into very complicated networks. I'm going into very complicated networks. These networks are not, like the problem is not solved. Yeah. <laughs> it's you not know, that someone can just wrap the box around and make it do what it needs to do and that's it. Yeah, no, it's funny you mentioned that because I remember seeing something that struck me um, in telco networking that somebody showed me a list of troubleshooting steps for a telco technician in the 1920s. And the, the troubleshooting steps that a telco technician went through in the 1920s were not vastly different from the troubleshooting steps that an IP network engineer goes through in, in today. So if 100 years ago we were doing some of the very same things to troubleshoot a telephone network that we do today and following the same logic processes, 
I don't, I think the technology will differ. It will grow. There'll be all these wonderful things, but I think the core fundamentals of how, how to troubleshoot the technology that we're on are going to remain largely the same for the next 20, 30, 40 years and even beyond. <laughs> all right. Well, Kevin, uh, thanks for uh, coming on, joining us, sharing your story. Uh, it was a great conversation. Um, before we leave, I want to give you an opportunity though, to share where you, people might find you online. So yeah, for sure. Um, so uh, if you find me on Twitter, I'm at uh, StubArea51, which is also my blog at StubArea51.net. Um, you can also find me on uh, LinkedIn. Um, uh, I'm on there. I'm on Facebook with my uh, IP Architects is my consulting company. We do uh, network engineering all over the world, um, doing mostly white box and commodity networking, but traditional stuff is too. That's IPArchitects.com. And I think that's, that's definitely all the ways to find me. Awesome. So I'm Jordan Martin. You can find me at BC Jordo on Twitter, find my name on LinkedIn, all those other places. Uh, TheNetworkCollective.com is our website. From there, you can find all our past episodes. Uh, you can learn about Network Collective membership, which just became even more affordable. And um, all the places to subscribe to us online. So we'd love to, we'd also love to hear from you. So if you, uh, if you want to chat with us, you can find us at NetCollectivePC on Twitter. Uh, we're also on LinkedIn and Facebook as Network Collective Podcast. You can just search for us there. As always, thanks for watching, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.